pilot. Pilot? What's a pilot? Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. And they show that one show to the people who pick shows. And on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't. Become nothing. She started one of the ones that became nothing. Halloween is over, Keith. And I have to say, I think we screwed up again because last week when I asked about what some of our favorite Halloween episodes are from various shows, we forgot to mention the most favorite Halloween type episode of all time, the Treehouse of Horror from The Simpsons. How did we forget that? You know, I was just going to say that. I was just going to say I like I made a big mistake. Do I give over my Simpson card? This is how I know we're best friends. It just. Yeah. I I was thinking about that and I felt so ashamed. I'm like <laughs> and you know what I feel like it was in the back of my subconscious, but I loved like the famous Treehouse of Horrors. Those are some of the best Simpson episodes. No, absolutely. Definitely some of the most memorable moments. I also have to give a shout out to the Bob's Burgers Halloween episodes as well, because those are all very memorable in their own right. And I just Maybe uh, I should have put you on the spot like that last week, but I kind of like doing that because, I don't know, it's a little more fun for me. Uh, but I'm sure if I gave you a heads up, you would have thought of The Simpsons in, in the moment where we talked about it last week. But just wanted to make sure to anyone who was thinking like, hey, wait a second, they didn't mention The Simpsons or you know, Bob's Burgers. Well, here we are doing it now to make up for it. I do appreciate you mentioning that, though. We'll, we'll always be there to correct our mistakes and uh i'm not ready to turn in my simpson card just yet i uh, know you you definitely earned that card and it's going to take a lot more than than that to take it away but we are moving away from halloween from the vampire genre and we're getting back on track to sitcoms and yeah we started this podcast with a couple months discussing 90 sitcoms so now we're moving on to the 2000s and you know, Keith, what do you what do you think of when it comes to the transition of sitcoms from '90s to 2000s? Uh, what when it comes to either say structure or tone? I would I would say the structure right away. Like I would say the show that we're about to talk about today. I I don't like to use the word game changer a lot for stuff, but I have to say that we're going to be talking about Malcolm in the Middle. The pilot, the show was a game changer for sitcoms because it went, it wasn't in front of a live studio audience. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if it was the first sitcom to do the single cam, but it definitely popularized it and opened up the door for all these unconventional comedies to come in through the next decade. Unconventional, that's another, like, it wasn't, uh, it, it 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 pushed the boundaries of what a, a sitcom could be. And, you know, now we're in, you know, uh, a lot of these shows would experiment with dra uh, dramedy moments. And now, and that paved the way for shows, half hour shows to, if they're nominated for an Emmy, do we go like, should it be nominated for a comedy? Right. Yeah. You know, the lines have definitely blurred for the genres of dramas and comedies and you know that's something that always has to be re-examined. Is it is there even a point in separating the two? Uh, but 
for this show especially, the format opened up the possibilities as well for how you can deliver these jokes. I mean, they definitely use editing to their advantage, and we'll see that in this very first episode too. There's just certain things you can do with a single camera comedy like this that you just couldn't do in front of a live studio audience. And so I think that this show and a lot of the other shows we're going to be discussing have a lot more freedom, and it's it's nice to see. I It's a shame, too, because I think in recent years we've seen a return to a reliance on the multi-cam live studio audience sitcom on the broadcast networks. But uh, for a good time there, you know, 2000s, 2010s, we had some really inventive comedies that were just, you know, uh, happy to break away from what was conventional. No, and I, it, it kind of all starts with this. Like, I, I, agree. I, I, I cannot think, and you're right, maybe there was uh, a, uh, multi, a multi-cam show out there, a sitcom, and I'm sure there was, but yeah, Malcolm in the Middle, this was the early 2000s sitcom. I agree, and I also really enjoyed the lack of laugh track because, you know, so many times you, with the laugh track that actually plays into how jokes are delivered and you wait for the laughter to end. Here, you, know, you could throw a lot of jokes out at once. There's a lot of quick jokes. And I mean, even there's like shows now and way back when where clearly there wasn't a studio audience, but they still laid in a laugh track. And I don't know, that, that kind of bugs me. And I just like this show is saying, forget about all that. We trust that people are going to laugh. We don't need a, a prompter for for laughter here, and it's true. This is I find this to be very funny, and I didn't really grow up watching Malcolm in the Middle, but I've caught episodes here and there, and you know I will save this to the end. But uh, I, I think I might be interested in continuing. I highly recommend it because this was a big part of at least middle school for me. And I know this went on for a while. I like I remember seeing the finale, but I kind of lost touch with it. But those early years, uh, hilarious, and also blew up for everybody. Like everyone kind of became a big star from this. And I like I know, uh, not talking about now how they are now, but like you know Frankie Muniz became. They tried, like they tried to make him a star with, uh, you know, Agent Coney Banks, big fat right, liar. Right, right, yeah, Jane, yeah. Jane Kaczmarek, I always, like is so perfect for this role. I kind of maybe because she's a lot of people's mother. <laughs> yeah, I think you see, you know, from the sweetness to the sternness to you know the the to the end of her ropes. There's a lot of uh, relatability to her performance as this, you know, this mom who's juggling a lot of things. And you're right, I think, um, yeah, we'll get into the cast too in a second. But uh, yeah, definitely an actor here that's beloved for another show. And I, I think everyone knows what we're talking about. But really quick, let's get into the- Tim Mal- Watley, right? <laughs> one, one dentist, Tim Watley. We will do the Seinfeld alert later. Uh, but here we go. The Malcolm in the Middle pilot history. So this pilot aired on January 9th, 2000 on Fox to 22 million viewers. Not bad. Not bad uh, at all. Originally, this show, uh, developed by Linwood Boomer, was pitched for UPN, who passed on the series before it was picked up by Fox. And I think that's actually for the best. I think the show actually fits in very well with the identity of the Fox network, with how they were differentiating themselves, and even fits in well to their past history of dysfunctional family comedies. Well, you have that, but at one point, Fox 
TV, Fox 5 was known as like a lot of the shows in primetime were like top 10 nurses who like who died on the job, like top 10 right. animal attacks. Like they don't do that anymore. No, but there was no. that there was that time in like the late 90s, early 2000s where like Mad TV was on. That was their SNL. Uh, but they relied. It kind of went so well with the Fox brand. I, I totally agree because, you know, the way Fox differentiated themselves from the other networks is maybe having uh, a cruder tone for their content, you know, maybe something a little more in your face, yeah. right? Not something as safe or traditional. You know, they tried to be a little more edgy. And I think we get that with this show for sure. Uh, so this show, the the family dynamic was based on the creator's own childhood and family, which I think makes sense. If someone had to create a show about a family comedy, they would obviously draw from their own experiences. Uh, so the main character, Malcolm, was originally written to be only nine years old, but was aged up after Frankie Muniz was cast. You know, Muniz didn't think he was going to get the role. He thought he was too old. But, you know, they rewrote it. They rewrote the age just for him because he was so good for the part. I could say, like, you know, I can imagine he I'm I'm going to bet like as we talk uh, when we come on the scene, I I think I know what scene he had to audition for because I do think watching it, I'm like, he nails this for like a 13 year old. I think he was 13 at the time. Right, um, right. I, I think maybe even a little older, but he looks young for his age. Yes. But uh, he, when, uh, he nailed it. Like, he, not well, many yeah. child actors, like, right off the bat, like, he kind of, like, he start, he went out the gate running. Oh, I think the whole cast does, but yeah, definitely, uh, you know, it's it's harder for younger actors to do that, but he definitely delivers. And, you know, speaking of Frankie Muniz looking younger than he actually is, that kind of plays into the actor who plays his older brother, Justin Burfield. He's cast as Reese, the older brother, despite the actor being younger than Frankie Muniz. I, I find that kind of funny. I think he's just like a year younger or something, but he definitely looks like an older brother. And so that was a surprise to me to find out that the actor is actually younger in real life. That is shocking. But Reese does look like, or Justin does look older brother-ish. It's the spiked hair. A lot of kids, like NSYNC and a lot of kids, boys at that time had like boy band hairstyles. And Reese had the spiked hair. I agree. I think what helps the character look older is that they give him the look of an older brother, right? For, uh, what like maybe um, a 14, 15 year old would look like at the time. And then Malcolm is made to look much more like a middle school kid. So I think that's probably why, you know, the the design of the characters, wardrobe, makeup, I think that all was very clever to keep, keep up that, um, you know, what looks like an age difference. Uh, and then, you know, <laughs> the actor that uh, is probably the, the biggest name to this show in retrospect, Brian Cranston. Uh, yeah, his audition made Linwood Boomer fall over his chair laughing. Not, not even from doing much. You know, really, he was the character was maybe meant to be a little more in the background and not have such a big part. But you know, Brian Cranston brought this sort of way about the character where there's something else going on in his head all the time. And he brought a quirkiness, which is perfect for this show. You know, all the characters are a bit neurotic and, uh, but the specific sort of brand of neurosis that Cranston brings to the character, Hal really elevated the character and made him more prominent than maybe he otherwise would have been. Uh, like I, there's an episode. If you do continue with this, there's an episode where he wants to teach Malcolm how to roller skate. And it is a masterclass in comedy. Okay. Oh yeah. It, I think it, I saw like, that. It's on in the, the first queue. season. It's in the yeah. first season. And 
like that was my like real introduction to Brian Cranston and and man like it I would say both it's a shame that both him and Jane did not win any Emmys for this like wow. it's because they are like pure like raw comedy and but also like just trying to be parents like they're pre- like despite how the family may be they're pretty good parents <laughs> well, I think, uh, yeah, we've we seen this pilot, the lowest character for sure, uh, I think proves herself to be um, a very good parent, but also like one that's just, I don't want to say she doesn't care, but she, she just does what needs to be done and she has no scruples, right? She's very, yes. um, she's going, she's fearless in a way. So we'll, we'll see how, uh, but in a way that I don't think many moms had been portrayed as before. Uh, it was like people were waiting for this kind of mom on TV. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's what really wins people over is that she has this edge to her that I think a lot of kids can see in their moms. And I think it's just it's a different uh, take on motherhood that yeah. is not as not as clean. Right. It's a messier take on it, but still in a way that's more realistic. Tough love. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I can I can relate to that. Uh, so much of the series was filmed on location. Right, including the exterior of the house, uh, which they paid three thousand dollars a day, a house in Century City, and again that plays into this uh, single cam, uh, you know, sort of format. You know, they, they, the producers wanted the show to feel cinematic in a way, so obviously you're going to maybe peel back from these sort of uh, more traditional sitcommy sets that look like a stage, and you can tell that it's in you know a soundstage, and they're going to be using more actual locations, and I, I think that really helps ground the show. Uh, but this, we should note that this is also, I'm sure we're going to encounter this as our podcast goes on, but this is the first, uh, pilot that wins both the Emmy for directing and writing. Linwood Boomer won for writing and Todd Holland won for directing. No, I did not know that, but I, I think that's, uh, that tracks because, Again, like this is making a splash, the first impression of the show. And, uh, yeah, I think this was very new for a lot of people. So I, I, I need to watch the rest of the first season to see, oh, maybe there was another episode that could have maybe picked that. But uh, I think a lot of times, you know, the for a first season, usually that first episode is the one that gets examined the most closely. It came out, it came out at the right – not only, like, did it come out at the right time for in the 2000s. Like, it really came out nine days after – people were afraid of y2k like uh (laughs) but it came it was a part of the sunday which was like simpsons uh king of the hill i don't remember if family guy was on or off at the air at the time but i I remember Mm. it being part of that sunday lineup before they even thought like okay let's just make this animation domination right i think that came later but you're right i think this played into their again like the dysfunctional family lineup right they fit in with the Simpsons and, and Family Guy and The Hills, yeah. right? Um, so I, uh, I I liked how that really fits in with the brand pretty well. And, I mean, this really is a very, like you said, early 2000s show from the look, from the attitude. I think this show's more in your face. I think it captures the cruelty of childhood in a way that oh, a lot of yes. other shows don't like to examine. And it's there's, there's a lot of, like, um, I don't know, survival mode. So apart from just the look and how the kids dress in the show. I feel like the attitude is very much of the time. It was more honest, like, or at least honest and also hyperbolic, which, uh, 
Well, that works be, half of the it, time too. Because of it being multicam, you could do those like single cam, single, uh, single cam. You could do those like quick edit, quick jump cuts. You could do, mm-hmm. you, you can make something bigger than it is. Like you know, maybe a black eye is just uh, is just like a half the face. Yeah, yeah, they really play around with um, this sort of heightened reality. Yes, it, from from the perspective of like uh, a disgruntled twelve year old. So okay, here we go. The stage is set. This is uh, a mid season premiere, right? If it if it comes out in January, uh, it, and it replaced Futurama, from what I read. Oh my gosh, are you serious? Yeah, it was a mid-season replacement for uh, Futurama, which breaks my heart, but also it's like I'm happy. I could have sworn Futurama was around a little longer than 2000, but okay. I I think Futurama then became like 7.30. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, maybe like Futurama had like a half season and then like the slot was taken over the rest of the way. I think so. Okay, okay. That makes sense. So sort of – a little like bittersweet there where it's like, you don't get enough Futurama, but here's another show that actually is really great in its own right. Okay. So the stage is set and I think now we can uh, proceed. So Keith, without further ado, take us to the pilot. Flight Right, so uh, we open on uh, the world. <laughs> this we get a little narration here from Malcolm. This is the world, and the next thing we see is uh, a tech close-up of a couple of nostrils uh, that belong to Malcolm's brother Reese. And we're basically getting here a little introduction to um, Malcolm and his and his family. So he's introducing his brothers Reese and Dewey, who he shares a bedroom with. Uh, there's a picture of his oldest brother Francis, who uh, we'll find out more about him later. He's not uh, living with them currently. Uh, so it's a quick little first scene here. And I like that you know, to really set the stage here, uh, there's a line that caps off this intro with, uh, it basically says, do you know what the best thing about childhood is? At one point, it stops. <laughs> and uh, from there, we go into the intro. So I, what do you think of that? Like, here's someone who is really not enjoying their childhood and really can't wait for it to be over. Sort of a different perspective from maybe some other shows that like to really say how great it is to be a kid. Thing watching this pilot in like hindsight of everything is Malcolm is just a, a an adult or someone who wants to be an adult. Yeah, like he's too smart for his own good. It, it it's a really good introduction. It's about like what two minutes? Not. It's very short. Very it's very short, short. and you kind of get the lay of the land that this kid is just. It's an adult trapped in a thirteen-year-old's body. Like, yeah. He, and there's there's some good things that come with that, and there's some awful things that come with that. But you also get a sense that this is a, you know, the fact that three boys share a room. It's kind of a working lower yes. middle class family. Like, yes, it, exactly. it says enough in in a short amount of time. But you you get to know Malcolm. Yeah, you get to know him from his from his tone. You can tell he's. Yeah, you know, a, a little uh, angsty there. And you're right. The room is very messy, very much a boy's room. But three three kids in one room, you know, a lot of this show is, um, you know, established visually, which I really enjoy. Again, an advantage of that single cam format. Uh, so from here, we go into the title sequence, uh, Boss of Me by They May Be Giants. And I think this is actually a little bit different in the first episode than it what is. I'm used to seeing. 
right? Does that change in the the in the second episode, or do we have to wait till the second season to get that more familiar version of the song? No, I think I I feel like this is like the pilot was shot maybe like a couple of weeks before, and the because you get into the you're right, hundred percent right. Because I was watching the opening credits, going, this feels different. Yeah, exactly. It's the same song. It's synonymous with the show, but it feels like there's only like like a different guy is singing it and different images like the images for the opening credits they come from movies like B movies and like Yeah, I like that. It's very very Malcolm in the Middle, but then it uh in this episode it's just like clips from the season. Right, right. A little more conventional in that respect. Uh but yeah, I, I do like when you eventually see the like you said those images of like old alien movies because that really fits into how Malcolm himself feels like an alien within his own family within its school. So I, you know, I think they would catch on to that. Yeah, but in this first episode, it feels like the tempo is a little different with this. Yeah. So yeah, it's maybe like a first draft of the intro, not not the one that we're more familiar with. But the, it, you, uh, you get that famous intro in the next episode. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, that's like. That's just the territory of doing a pilot, right? They decide to maybe fine-tune that intro, make the song a little faster, and uh, maybe use a little different kinds of imagery. But regardless now, the case, we go through that title sequence. And uh, now scene two, it's uh, back at the house. It's morning. The kids are going to get ready for school. So here we meet Malcolm's mother, Lois, uh, who calls down the boys for breakfast uh, while she's shaving Hal in the kitchen and he is completely naked uh, covering himself with the newspaper it's very interesting <laughs> location to shave someone's body hair should be noted that that Brian Cranston is not that hairy he actually used uh uh yak hair oh my gosh well yeah I mean that's the thing it does not look like a normal person's <laughs> body hair it definitely looked like they put on like a rug on his chest or something <laughs> uh but I really like that but and it's like a weekly tradition or a monthly tradition at their house Right, right. Like they have to do it. What What's the reason why he chafes or something? It's just it's uncomfortable for yeah, him. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, you got to like you know it probably gets like thick and all that. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, yeah. So you know she she's shaving the hair. I think she 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 mentions that maybe uh the birds can use Hal's body hair for nest building, <laughs> which winds up being the case. Um, but yeah, as that's happening, you know Lois tells the boys, you know, there's only two toaster waffles. One of you guys is gonna have to eat cereal. So. You know, Reese and Malcolm, they get the waffles and poor Dewey's left with cereal. <laughs> and, you know, this comes back This comes back a couple times in the episode and going back to the idea of um, just being more of a working class family. Lois is constantly saying, OK, here's what we have in the in the fridge. <laughs> it, this is this is what we got. And sometimes there's not enough to go around. And, uh, you know, the boys is kind of like survival of the fittest. <laughs> so poor Dewey kind of gets left with the scraps. I'm an only child, but I just I always assume this is what growing up with brothers was and just having friends yeah. with brothers like the if you're the younger, you're getting punched. You're, you get the yeah. scraps. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, you can't fight. Your older brothers are bigger than you. And yeah, th contrast this a little bit with a pilot we talked about earlier, uh, Home Improvement, another family with three sons. But, you know, although they might claim to be raucous their playing is much more wholesome and innocent compared to these kids and we'll see them later like when they fight each other it, they really will be 
on the ground, like clawing at each other. It's it, they definitely get more physical with each other than we've seen other family kids do. It it puts uh, the home improvement family like they are saints compared to these people because uh, I think all their neighbors have uh, for sale signs around. That's them. right. That's another nice touch. Yeah, we'll see that in the next scene. Uh, but meanwhile, you know, uh, Lois is telling Malcolm that he's going to have a play date soon with Stevie Kenner. How do you pronounce his last name? Carnarvon. Carnarvon. Stevie Carnarvon, otherwise known as Stevie Wheelie, which, you know, is not a very nice nickname for like this kid who is in a wheelchair. But listen, as bad as that is, I think that also goes to show how mean these kids are that they would give a nickname like that to a kid in a wheelchair, right? That's the idea. I don't think the show is condoning that sort of thing, but they give this kid this nickname because every kid in the show is kind of a jerk. Well, we'll we'll get into Stevie in just a sec, but I would say the Fox brand uh, is not politically correct. Like even yes, uh, years before you had married with children and people went nuts over like how like how the kind of arguments they would have and the topics uh, that they oh, would do. Absolutely. But it's, it's it the way they Stevie is a beloved character, but it, I guess they're. I'm try- I found a good he's re- he reminds me of Jimmy and we'll get into the but he reminds me of Jimmy from South Park. OK, so, interesting. Uh, I'll make that connection later on, but it's we're not laughing at uh, Stevie. Right, right. I mean, if anything, as an audience member, I can imagine even in 2000, you're like, wait, what are they nicknaming this kid? Uh, but, you know, Lois is definitely campaigning for the kids to be more sympathetic, right? Because Malcolm doesn't want to spend time with Stevie. They only maybe hung out once. It's because Stevie sat next to him at lunchtime, and he wants to be friends with Malcolm, but the feeling's not mutual. But Lois gives this lecture now about the kids being grateful for their, for their legs, you know? Uh, she's like, any every day, anything could happen. And uh, the, the, the speech I get a kick out of at the end you know, Dewey as maybe the mama's boy is like, you know, I'm grateful for my legs, mom. And uh, Lois at first is proud of him, but then has to tell him to top, to uh, stop <laughs> touching himself. <laughs> and uh, that's a nice little uh, last minute joke for this scene there, right? Like that, again, is just on brand for the show. It's, it's, it's going to be messy. It's going to be sometimes like inappropriate. And, uh, yeah, for, for this mom with three boys, this is the kind of territory that she has to deal with. It goes on the edge. It, it goes on the edge of just, like, what they can say while also, like, in my opinion, they're not laughing. No one's laughing at somebody. Like, we're just, like, yeah. I think Stevie, as the show progresses, becomes a great character, especially when the boys try to start dating. Like, it's... Oh, interesting. Like, like Stevie does become, like... I, a regular part of the cast like i don't know i don't think opening credit part of the cast but he becomes like he, malcolm's best friend like, yeah from what i remember you know catching episodes here and there during the original run uh i remember he he was always there and he was a big part of the show everyone acts like francis is just this big troublemaker and he's not dad i know what you're gonna say and believe me i totally agree with you there is no excuse for what i did it was idiotic immature totally reckless and i'm really sorry i'm just i'm hoping against hope that you will give me another chance which i admit i don't deserve if you could just find it in your heart to forgive me i know i could earn your trust back 
in the next scene, uh, the kids are walking to school. As you mentioned, a lot of the houses around where Malcolm lives have for sale signs, and even the the next door mom she tells her daughters to quickly hurry and uh, avoid the boys next door. They're avoid... monsters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> they got quite a reputation. This family. Uh, Reese walks ahead. It's apparently it's Malcolm's turn to walk Dewey to school. Dewey insists that Malcolm holds his hand. <laughs> Malcolm is not really happy about that. Uh, and then meanwhile, uh, Malcolm's friend Richard joins them and is asking how Francis is doing after being sent to uh, to military school. And here we're going to get a little flashback to what Francis exactly did to be sent away. And I, I really like this sequence. It's basically the character Francis here talking straight to the camera as if he's talking to his parents. And we're getting like increasingly more trouble that he's getting into from uh, being escorted home by the police to you know, a girl in his bed. He's getting caught with a girl in his bed to a car being on fire. <laughs> and as Malcolm says, it wasn't even our car <laughs> uh, as if that makes it better. Uh, a, I, Christopher Masterson does it like apparently Aaron Paul also also auditioned, but I think Christopher Masterson also has that like charm factor that he can get out of trouble. Right, right. Yeah. He, you know, he's a mischievous kid, but he's going to put on this nice facade to, you know, smooth things over with his parents. But apparently he just went a little too far, got in trouble once too many times. And uh, now he's being sent over to military school, which, yeah, the, the other sons are very upset about. Right. Malcolm even says, yeah, he, he's my favorite brother. And of course, he gets sent away. So but, uh, I'm interested that... in exploring that that relationship between those two brothers. That quick uh, introduction scene is why single camera is great for this show. That's what I'm saying. Like, you can't do that in a live action sequence. Like, you're playing around with the editing, and, you know, like midway through a sentence, it cuts to the next scene, and you see that he's using the same spiel over and over again to try to get his parents to forgive him. So, like, that's, that's something that uh, this show is able to do that other shows weren't able to do. Uh, but meanwhile, after that, flashback to Francis, uh, you know, Malcolm, Dewey, and Richard, they spot a local bully, Dave Spath, who's beating up a kid. And he's like, he's kind of like a bully salesman to this kid. It's like, okay, like you got to choose two or three things. We beat you up, lick my shoe, or like, you know, something else. But if you pick all three, you get a pass. You know, that's your best value. <laughs> it's like, this kid is like going to beat you up, but he's going to negotiate with you about it. <laughs> he's a professional bully. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, he, he knows what he's doing. Uh, but yeah, the, Malcolm and Dewey and Richard, they they managed to avoid Spath for now. Uh, next scene, we're in uh, art class, and Malcolm, yeah, he's getting some compliments on his painting from the girl next to him, from the teacher. Spath, who's a couple of seats behind, uh, doesn't like the sound of that, getting a little jealous, so he pours paint on Malcolm's chair, <laughs> which Malcolm unfortunately sits on. Uh, the teacher, I, I noticed it. I'm like, where have I seen her before? She ends up playing I in a recast. She ends up playing Stevie's mom, like she's oh. not Malcolm. Like she, Stevie's mom is not Malcolm's teacher, but they must have like the actress is great. Right, uh, she's great. Yeah, she has some good lines, and she again has yeah. like the very cynical attitude about her as well. Right, about like oh Malcolm, this painting is so nice. It's the highlight of my day. How is yeah. that for sad? <laughs> right, like she has this sort of like demented twist on everything. She complains With about my own money. Right, she had to but, buy the, the, the fruit for the still paintings. Yeah, she ends up playing Stevie's mom. 
Okay, I'm glad that they brought back that that actress because uh, she she is pretty funny and I she captures um, yeah she knows what shows she's in basically. But yeah, uh, Malcolm's it's... a smart cookie. Like everyone, <laughs> yeah. I don't think like he's painting. You know, she's talking about depth and everything. Like it yeah, also, it hints that there's. I don't want to say a gimmick, but it hints as to what like what kind of makes this show even more unique for Malcolm in a family sitcom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we'll see more of that. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, as soon as Malcolm sits in the paint, his teacher tells him that he needs to go to the psychiatrist's office, the school psychiatrist. He doesn't really want to do it. <laughs> he doesn't want people to see. He's delaying the inevitable. But, you know, the teacher says, you got to go right now. And we get a, a quick shot of Malcolm walking through the halls with paint on his butt and getting laughed at. Uh, but right before the commercial break, there's one more scene with uh, Malcolm in the psychiatrist's office. Uh, the psychiatrist, Caroline, uh, goes through a number of tests with Malcolm, which he like immediately passes. Right, like he's basically demonstrating his intelligence. He doesn't even know he's doing it though. Like she's showing him like uh, an image. What's wrong with the image? And Malcolm, who's just having a bad day, he's he's blazing through this test without even knowing and. Yeah, he, he's basically just now ranting about how he has paint on his ass. <laughs> it's like, I don't care about any of this. I got paint on my butt. Uh, but he impresses the psychiatrist with his with his intellect and his, you know, his observations. So um, that's, you know, that's the end of this, uh, well, this act before the commercial. I do think this is what the kids who auditioned for Malcolm had to audition for. Because I think yeah. this is like a close to a monologue or something that you're going to get. But it has that quick fire smartness to it but it also ends with like can he hit the line of i have red paint all over my ass all, <laughs> yeah like and he does but there is also something and i'm well i'll make this like when malcolm's first brought into the psychiatrist's office he is very suspicious and it's like right, i didn't do right. anything and there is that lower middle class like do not trust authority thing that i that's think that's a good point I think just like your parents kind of instill in you that is it's like it's it's middle America, but or it's the everyday family just next door. <laughs> kind of. That's a good point. You're right. I should have mentioned, you know, when he first is in the psychiatrist's office, he doesn't know why he's there. And he's like, what did I do wrong? And we get a little bit of that later on in the episode, too, with people automatically being on the defense and even the brothers throwing each other on the bus, you know, like, oh, I saw him do whatever you think he did. There's there's a lot of that, you know, again, survival of the fittest. These brothers, these kids will uh, defend themselves and throw another kid under the bus to save themselves. Now, you can look at this picture for 60 seconds, and I want you to tell me everything that's wrong with it, okay? The man only has four fingers. Right. But this time, I want you to take your time and really look at it. The car shadow's going the wrong way. The cereal's on the wrong side. There's no brake pedal. The words in the mirror should be backwards. The guy's watch wouldn't say 12 o'clock if he's looking at a sunset. And I have red paint on my ass. That's right, red paint all over my ass. And when we get back from commercial, we're in Stevie's room. Here we get to meet Stevie. And, you know, it's a little awkward. They're just sitting in his room, Malcolm and Stevie, eating cookies. Uh, Stevie tries to tell a joke and messes up a little bit. But he is able to impress Malcolm with his comic book collection uh i do like you know there's a line when stevie says he's not allowed to watch tv because his mom says it makes you dumb malcolm says it makes you normal <laughs> i like that you know it helps you fit in 
how could they do that? He's in a wheelchair. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, – we get that fourth wall break, right? Like throughout the episode, Malcolm is making commentary to the audience, looking right at the camera there. So that's that's a nice touch. But yeah, th this is – goes back to my point. Hey, this is a, a really great scene. It's it's nice to see like a friendship blossom or this the, the seed of a friendship. Yeah, I agree. Like, like it's – once, once they break through that barrier and they are going through the comic book collection, you see them really bond over this. Yeah, that that is that is nice. It's like one of the um, few wholesome moments in a show that's otherwise, uh, you know, again very cynical. But it goes back to my point of like, Jimmy from South Park has given us funny moments, but the kids see him as their friend first. Like they they don't. I would say a lot of the. Some episodes they don't even bring up like his handicap. They're like, "Hey Jimmy, can you pass this? Can you get this to her?" Or right, it it like Stevie, of course, is a kid in a wheelchair. He has breathing issues, but he there's there's comedy to mine from there. But we're not laughing at him. That's how I. I yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, he's endearing, if anything, and yes. as we'll see later on in the episode, he gets he has his clever moments too where he's able to steal a victory yes. and, you know, uh, work with Malcolm there. So, uh, yeah, after that scene, we go back to Malcolm's house. It's Saturday morning. The boys are watching TV in their pajamas while Lois is running around doing laundry topless. <laughs> I do get a kick out of how comfortable these parents are around their kids, right? Because in the opening scene, uh, Hal is naked in the kitchen, and there's even a moment where, like, the kids have to kind of, like, grimace and look away when he raises the newspaper and here you know the mom's just walking around totally free the kids are yeah they're maybe used to it right they're unfazed by it uh but uh while this is happening uh francis calls the house the boys are very excited to hear him but uh yeah when he talks to lois we get a little bit more perspective from his situation in military school here yeah he's he's very um cavalier about his situation right he's kind of making fun of the whole thing about how there's this whole sense of homoeroticism <laughs> as behind him there's like guys working out and uh you know making suggestive comments uh but I, what i thought was so funny about this conversation you know francis is smoking a cigarette and lois can hear him over the phone smoking right and that's um i think it's it has to be a very subtle thing because they they say that like lois and hal had quit smoking but I guess that she's such a mom and she can pick up on such subtle things. And, you know, him maybe taking a very short pause to draw in the cigarette is enough to tip her off as to what he's doing. You'll see over the course of the series the, the unique mother-son relationship that uh, Lois has with Francis because he's the first. And like, yeah. I, I think he falls into all, like, the firstborn uh stereotypes but <laughs> mm -hmm. like they uh francis it's i think if i'm not mistaken this is his real only appearance in this pilot i think so um and but francis's plot line about 80 percent of the show like you know he goes on an adventure like he he sticks he stays in military school and then he goes to other places and no it's like francis becomes a full like yeah, he, kind of, like, he has kind his of own like, major storylines in this. He ends up getting yeah. married at some point. Like, it's, it's kind of like he has his own show on the side yes. to, to what the rest of the family is doing. Yes, outside of like like every once in a while he'll come home, and those are great. Like those are great episodes, but uh, 
he seems to be he gets the brunt of like the fam both his parents is like accusations right. right right well yeah that's that's the thing they send him away and they probably have the least amount of leniency towards him based on everything else that they've had to put up with him uh but yeah i i, I also like that the brothers are excited to hear him right they miss him oh he's a hero and, Right, right. They they look up to him, and maybe they model some of their chaotic behavior after after him. Yeah, they uh, so want to I, make him proud. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's sweet that you know Malcolm. He does have a lot of positive things to say about other people, but you know he he, uh, the admiration for his brother is is sweet. So yeah, you know, the doorbell rings after that phone call, and you know Lois wants one of the one of the boys to answer the door and they start fighting over who should. And before you know it, Malcolm and Reese are just on the floor rolling around fighting each other. Dewey's hitting them with the rubber hammer. Like. That's right. That's right. Like he's kind of just on the side at making it more chaotic. And so Lois gets fed up. She's so mad. Like she just will now answer the door herself. So still topless, she opens the door and it's uh Carolyn. The psychiatrist who wants to talk about Malcolm's IQ, and this is, uh, <laughs> she's like very um, uncomfortable with this. But Lois is like, "Get over it, you know. They're boobs. You have them too. They're probably nicer than mine." <laughs> she's again, like she's so, um, I don't know, like she she has no scruples about anything. Yeah, you know, she's just trying to get through her day. She's been there, done that. Right, exactly. So that's again, it's it's refreshing. It's not, you know, I can imagine another show. Maybe if this were to happen, the mom might not realize it first. And as soon as she does, right, she might freak out. But Lois is – she knows that she's topless and she does not care. Yeah. And uh, that's that's really funny to see. Uh, and uh, she's also defensive too, right? Just like Malcolm, you know, uh, she's ignored Carolyn's messages because she thinks that she wants to put Malcolm in um, like a special ed class or, you know, in some sort of remedial class. Uh, but, you know – Carolyn's like, let me just explain. Can you put something on? But also, <laughs> uh, let me just explain. And uh, they go inside, and the conversation has, happens off camera. We get another commercial break. A teacher from school came by, and she ran some tests with Malcolm. He has an IQ of 165. Who? Malcolm. He's a genius. He's going to special class. What? Malcolm special? Where do you think that came from? So now, uh, after the commercial, it's uh, now dinner time, and yeah, they're <laughs> these these men, these guys are like really scarfing down this food here. It's like a they're table like farm of, animals. <laughs> yeah, right. Like the mom, like Lois is just watching as her sons and her husband are just like devouring this meal. It's like uh, I don't know mac and cheese and uh, cornbread or something, but yeah, there's they're just a very messy family. And, uh, yeah, she's very patient. She waits for the right time to announce that Malcolm is a genius and he will be joining the uh, class for gifted kids. The Krellboins. The Krellboins, which they have a reputation. I mean, again, at first, when she just mentions there's something to say about Malcolm, Reese is very quick to say, like, whatever he did, he did it. And I saw <laughs> he's just he's like so quick to just like get Malcolm in trouble for whatever. Uh, but you know, hearing about being in the Krellboin class, uh, even Reese is concerned for Malcolm. You know, it's where all the all the kids who are considered freaks, as they say, will go. And yeah, he he really doesn't want to join this class. He wants to stay where he is. He wants to be normal. And uh, Lois is adamant. You know, she, she Malcolm has a gift. He shouldn't waste it. He should go into this special 
gifted class. And uh, when they look, when Lois and Malcolm <laughs> look to Hal, you know, looking for him to pick a side, he uh, all you know, he deflects. <laughs> right? He's like, he's looking at the both of them, and he can't side, so he just goes on about how there's never any iced tea. <laughs> he makes iced tea every day. When he comes home, there's none left, and that's. Uh, you know how he tries to weasel his way out of that situation. He, uh, uh, Hal doesn't get that much to do in this pilot, but man, with what he uh, he does get to do, Brian Cranston yeah. just uh, this is probably what made him laugh. It's just like uh, you know, I make iced tea every morning and it's gone. Yeah, you know, and it's not like an over the top performance. Like there's something about the way about Brian Cranston, at least in this. He's um, I don't know. He's he's. I, I, there's, I don't want to say it's subtle either. It's somewhere in the middle. It's, it's he's, um, no pun intended. He just has this very like, uh, like I don't want to say je ne sais quoi. <laughs> there's something about Hal that is hard for me to put my thumb on. He's like he is a quirky dad. He's neurotic and he has a hard time maybe, uh, you know, arguing with his wife or standing up or really having any sort of conflict. But you're right. The way Linwood. Uh, put it is um, the wood boomer it's almost as if there's another world going on in his head and uh, I think I don't know what Brian Cranston is doing exactly but he's definitely conveying that the dad is in his own world while the rest of his house is uh, a chaotic mess that's the best way to describe how yeah mm -hmm. right right so uh, that's not easy to do somehow you know Brian Cranston the amazing actor he is he does capture that um so, you know, then we uh, we go to the boy's bedroom and Lois is, you know, assuring Malcolm that, you know, this is for the best, that he joins this uh, this this class, this, this crowdboying class. And, yeah, she has a nice little speech here about, listen, like, be grateful that you're better off than a lot of other people around you in terms of your gifts. A lot of the people in the neighborhood are maybe not quite as bright. And any kid who makes fun of you, you know, they're not going to wind up being as successful as you. So... Yeah, just think about that, and that does help Malcolm get through this situation. Surprisingly, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but uh, I'm so happy uh, for a show like this, as chaotic as it can seem. Uh, a sh a pilot, this pilot needed this scene. One, it yep. slows down, but it's you get to see Lois really not only being a good mom, but she gives real life, real good advice in the fact that like you make you make deal with the cards you're dealt, like take yeah. advantage of this situation because you don't want to be working in the gas station. Right. She's like, a very practical down to earth mom. And you know, she has her temper and she has her edge. Oh, and yes. Definitely yes. things that set her off. But you know, at the end of the day, like she has a lot of uh, compassion for her kids and you know, she understands why Malcolm is uh, hesitant to join this class, you know, this, the social anxiety of it all. But, yeah, she gives very good advice about how to get through that. And, yeah, I think the message that she gives her kids over and over again is just be grateful. And, you know, don't, don't take anything for granted. I'm sure, like, the lesson for all parents, but especially with four boys, is I love my kids, but they are exhausting. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good way to put it. She is really at the end of her ropes a lot of the times. But, you know, she when she does have the energy to gather herself, maybe, like, in a one-on-one -on -one moment, you know, she's able to talk in a more, like, calm and collected yeah. way. It was a great scene. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
Uh, and a short one, too. There's a lot of really short scenes. And I think this is a common thread we'll see in these 2000 sitcoms. Uh, a lot of a lot of quick moments, a lot of uh, you know short scenes with just a few minutes of dialogue. Uh, so you know, back at school the next day, uh, Malcolm is uh, being announced in front of his original class for being a genius. You know, the teacher wants everyone to appreciate his high intellect, <laughs> uh, which is not helpful. He's and, smarter than you, <laughs> right? Yeah, he's better than you, and that is. Uh, then cut to Malcolm that's just being gawked at by his original classmates, but now his new gifted classmates are also staring at him, right? He's kind of caught, once again, in the middle. He's maybe too smart for the normal class, but he's maybe too normal for the gifted class. It doesn't really quite fit in in either place. Uh, but, yeah, he sits down to, to Stevie, and, you know, Malcolm, yeah, he's he's complaining again. He's, not, he's maybe... Being a bit of a, a whiny, <laughs> a bit of a whiny kid, and Stevie is just telling him, you know, chill out. And Malcolm, you know, he makes kind of an offensive comment to Steve, like, you know, you've always been a freak, he says. But he immediately realizes that he made a big mistake, and <laughs> Stevie is uh, not too happy with him. Tells him that you suck. <laughs> that's the end of that scene. The one thing that's great about like Malcolm being our main character is that. He, like, he isn't perfect. Like, he is smart, yes, yeah. but man, is he, even his mom said he doesn't shut up. He's loud, he's angry, he's angsty. He's kind of, for the smartest kid in the room, he's, he can be so stupid. And that does, right. that that is his flaw, flaws, I guess, throughout the series. But, like, you know, he's a kid. He says he's, he's a kid who wants to be an adult, who wants to grow up so fast and is trying yeah. to. But well, he has to go through childhood first. It's, he's a very believable kid. He's a very believable, yes. smart kid that maybe has a low emotional intelligence. Again, like he's only maybe 12 or 13. That's very understandable. And that's what kids do. You know, when, when they're having a tough time, they'll whine and, you know, they might end up saying something that they'll regret. And, and Stevie says it perfectly. He sucks. Yeah, he's, you, you suck. Uh, so now we get to basically the like climactic sequence in this episode, recess. And then we get a nice overhead shot where Malcolm demonstrates how being smart in school is like being radioactive. You know, all, all the kids are keeping a, a certain distance from him. And when he moves over to one side, you know, the, like the, the crowd of kids around him sort of uh, are repelled by him. <laughs> uh, like, so I, that, that's like a nice visual gag there. Um, you know, Malcolm, you know, he feels bad about what he said to Stevie, so he's about to go up and apologize when suddenly, you know, the bully Spath throws a piece of garbage at him, and this, this sets him off. You know, Malcolm now is going to yell at him and try to really stand his ground while in the inside he's he's shaking. He's, <laughs> he's like, he should run away. You know, why are my legs working? I want to run, but my legs won't work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, outwardly, though, he's he's really trying to stand up for himself, you know, yelling at Spath, calling him an idiot and his friends, a bunch of cronies, <laughs> like, you know, uh, basically about how everyone in, in the, the school hates him. And this sets off a bit of a, a fight sequence here. Now, uh, the director, Todd Holland, found this the hardest of the pilot to shoot because it's hard to keep over 100 11-year-olds focused. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't imagine. He probably feels like Lois at the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but 
Yeah, in, in a slow motion sequence, which Malcolm even says in slow motion, right? This is um, a very like self aware show. We get this uh, moment where you know, Malcolm throws pudding <laughs> in Spath's face, and in retaliation, Spath goes to punch him, but Malcolm ducks out of the way, and Spath winds up grazing yeah, Stevie, lightly tapping, lightly tapping Stevie's chin. But of course, Stevie, when he sees people's shock <laughs> look on their face, he throws himself over to make it look like he'd been knocked out of his chair. And uh, that turns the crowd against the bully, Spath. And you know, Spath immediately is like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to. <laughs> and immediately is, like, shaking in his pants over what's happened. His friends even turn against him. Like, what's wrong with you? He even has glasses. Are you crazy? Uh, but there's a moment where, you know, Malcolm and Stevie, they smile victoriously at each other. Uh, they, uh, they basically defeated this bully and turned everyone against him. Now, Spath, I found this out uh, during my research. Spath was supposed to be a recurring character, but he gets cut from. We oh, don't, like, really? Like, I I totally forgot that in the when in the Krellboin class one I had, first time I had no idea what Krellboin. Krell, yeah, I, what what is that? That's um, Rick Moranis's last name in Rocky Horror, not Rocky Horror. Uh, uh, the plant one. Uh, oh, and Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors, yes. Oh, Krellborn, Yes, that's I, just, that, it. Didn't that, occur to me until. Uh, so that's just that's just a reference to Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. Huh. And, okay. But uh, you know, I can understand for the pilot when you get to meet the class outside of Stevie. You get you know they're all staring at him like he's a he's a zoo animal. Yeah. Uh, you will get to know a bunch of the kids. Like he he has his own group of friends that are just great. They are okay. like a great sense of humor. Uh. Okay. Well, you know, I figured. Like it, you know, yeah. I, I I'm a little surprised that maybe Spath doesn't come back, but I figured that the kids in his original class really wouldn't because you know, the catalyst of this this pilot is that Malcolm is joining this more gifted class, yeah. and so we're going to be spending time with this group of kids and not the first one. Yeah. No. I was kind of. I bet in like early discussions, Spath was like maybe kind of like, you know, it's the same way that like when Nelson Muntz was introduced. And yeah. like they made a big deal, like his own episode. He's a big bully, gets defeated, and then he ends up becoming kind of like a frenemy of Bart. It's right, may, right. maybe in that capacity, but for the better, you know, Malcolm has his Krellboying group of friends. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's nice to see. And oh, yeah, of course he's resistant to all of them at first, but we'll see him warm up to each of them, I'm sure. Uh, so now we get sort of an end credits tag. While the uh, end credits roll, we get the scene here where Malcolm is talking directly to the camera, to the audience, about sort of like what the fallout was from his fight. You know, Spath got in trouble with the principal, and he even cried. And, you know, Malcolm, he doesn't feel bad about it at all. <laughs> he's, he, he's, he feels pretty good about uh, coming out on top on the whole situation there. So, yeah, that's, again, setting the tone that, uh, you know, there's not going to be too much feeling bad or, you know, like you're going to take your victories where you can. It, well, the episode was originally going to end with Malcolm uh, tying a skateboard to his dad's car, but the network did not want people replicating it, so they asked Linwood to change it. And even though he liked that ending, he changed it to Malcolm kind of thinking that he can make the best of both worlds. Like, he is taught, yeah. like, I'm going to be smart, but he's also going to be a chaotic kid, as uh, mm -hmm. shown that he's 
trapped his younger brother Dewey in the trash can. Right, right. Like, you know, while this is ha- well, Malcolm is explaining all this. You hear Dewey's voice pleading for Malcolm to, to help him or let him out. And then, you know, there's a, a cut back to reveal Malcolm is uh, sitting on a trash can that Dewey's inside of. <laughs> and again, like he's he's taunting Dewey. He's being a meaner older brother. You know, like, you know, there, there's a bug crawl up my nose. Well, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> Just yeah. deal with it. Uh, so is he any better than the bully? I, I don't know. Uh, but that's the end of our episode, and that that's it. That's the pilot episode to Malcolm in the Middle. But hey, if a bunch of birds can make the best out of what they get, then so can I. Malcolm! Like having to go to special class. I can make it work out, right? Malcolm! Not now! Or my family. We're not the greatest family in the world, but we could get better. I mean, it's not impossible. Malcolm! What? Can I get out? No, stop asking. So basically, I think everything's gonna be okay. A bug went up my nose. So what do you want me to do about it? I love it. I I I miss this show, and I hope that I was thinking about this the other day because I I would like I still think this show. I would like for it to find a new audience, and I think it has the capabilities. But I watched it on Hulu. I did I too. Think ne- I think Netflix needs to buy this because apparently that's how you know. Oh, you think Suits? Suits is a show that came out ten years ago. Yeah, I and, did see that. It's a, it was like a top show this past summer on Netflix. It wasn't just a top. It was the show of the summer. That's like, so I, funny. I, I met so many people who who watched Suits this summer, and only because it was on Netflix. I think look, Hulu's great. I actually really enjoy Hulu. But I, I really just want this show to find like a new audience because yeah, I hear you. Well, yeah, so sometimes much, like, sometimes shows so can greatness. exist. Oh yeah, no, like on, you can exist on both on both um, on multiple uh, services, but at the same time, you know, I, I it's on Fox or it originally aired on Fox, and that's why it's on Hulu. Uh, but I agree. I mean, if say there was. Um, you know, a few months where it was also on Netflix. Who knows? I don't, it might have been on Netflix at one point. I'm not quite sure. But, yeah, I, w- I would like to see this maybe get revisited. I mean, there's a lot, too. To If you want to pick, like, an old show to be your next show to, to go through, there's a lot to go through here. Oh, yeah. You know, this show aired seven seasons, and it produced 151 episodes. So that's, like, a pretty long run. No, I think I think for the most part you'll be. It's a satisfying show. Like it, it, I really enjoyed the finale. I can't really speak for about the final episodes, but I think they really do uh, maintain their wit. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's throughout. good. That's good because, um, yeah, obviously the fact that they're using live action instead of animation, you know, the characters are going to literally grow up. That's unavoidable. Uh, so you know, that's uh, something that is always interesting to see with these. Um, with these like family sitcoms is, you know, having to actually write for the aging characters, especially the kids who grow up very quickly at, you know, at when you're 12 or 13, you shoot up pretty fast. I just had a thought too. You mentioned that the original ending uh, of this pilot episode would be Malcolm tying the skateboard to his dad's car and I guess riding it. And uh, the network didn't want kids to replicate that. I have now a theory that they maybe had similar incidents with the Simpsons, of kids trying to emulate Bart Simpson's uh, various adventures and people writing in and saying like, Hey, he's not a good role model. And now the network is like, okay, <laughs> we have to avoid that now or else we're going to get into more trouble. So I, I, I suspect that, 
you know, uh, that, that might have been the reason why. Just wanted I to think, throw that in there. I think you made a very good theory cake. If I can only throw on the frosting is that Jackass was also like – Oh, okay. Prime at the time too. I think this was just a big time too of, uh, you know, I think the South Park movie captured this of just you know parents blaming TV shows for their kids' behavior and you know the networks having to explain themselves a bit and go to court to defend themselves. Which is kind of funny because these kids over the course of the series, especially even like the first season, they do insane things to the, yeah. not only their parents but to anyone who crosses them they do absolutely like well that's why i'm not saying try this at home stuff it's heightened reality right it's, it's yeah. there's moments of maybe uh fantasy of childhood fantasy of being able to do certain things to get back at somebody or to go on a crazy adventure right it's a tv show and maybe like you know linwood boomer who is the creator maybe he's trying to project some of the things he wish he was able to do in his own childhood and this is this is his opportunity and you know like that makes sense to me it's it, the show can have you do whatever you want the characters to do so uh, why not take advantage and maybe put them in some situations that are a little more over the top again like totally it it, it would still work uh with again there's still a gratitude to it and that's why i want to sort of talk now in our retrospective review here you know, this is sort of a messier family than we've seen in the prior sitcoms. We've seen, like you mentioned, this is more of a working class family. Uh, the house is like a very messy house, right? There's sort of things all over the place. And, you know, there's um, only so much the mom can do. Uh, there's not a lot of food in the in the refrigerator. The dialogue can be cruder. Uh, yeah, these kids are constantly fighting each other. And so it's not as much of the polished family you've seen in... 90s or 80s or you know prior decades and i think that's that's probably the one of the bigger appeals and that was a big part of you know late 90s culture going into 2000s is sort of like tearing down that sort of polished media look on american life and you're looking more into like the the more gritty nitty nature of what uh real kids in this country go through yeah yeah i think uh what kind of separate what adds to its success is not only are they're a messy family, but they're likable. Like, like even when they're yelling and punching each other, you can relate. You might have a brother. You might have a father. I Lois reminded me of my mom at times. Like, if uh, yeah. Like it's I. I was a little uh, hellscape sometimes. Uh, but it's, uh, what what boy isn't? I know, but. <laughs> and imagine I, imagine raising four sons that are yeah. all extremely like rambunctious. I mean. You know, she's a very admirable character for not having gone completely insane. Yeah, no, a lot of people on the outside would look at it going like, oh, like you would say that to your kid. And Lois is like, I have to say this to my kid. Right. Yeah. She's just so, like I said, practical. Right. She she just like says what needs to be said because she doesn't have time to, to tiptoe around the truth or to be sensitive or stuff. It's like, you know, she's just going to say what has to be said. And uh, I, you know, that's why she's, you know, there's like the matriarch and the patriarch. And this is definitely um, a family that even though it's like 99% men are male, uh, they, the, the mom is definitely the one who runs the household. Yeah, but it also just occurred to me uh, what sets this uh, sitcom apart from like all the other like sitcoms that we've talked about and in the 90s and the 80s and whatnot is like we can't – goes away from the sitcom conventions like i i would 
I was thinking that all those introductions to Francis in that monologue, those mm-hmm. are all like very special episodes. You know oh, what I mean? Like each okay. one could be a considered as like, you know, dr- drunk driving. Like, you know, it, they don't. The time he burned a car, right? Yeah. That could be its own thing. It's like, no, we're just going to get like quick two second glimpses into all of those stories where, okay, what kind of happened there? It's like, well, don't worry about that. Uh, there's so much more to tell. There's no family hug at the end. There's more yeah. like, it's like, well, you're grounded for two weeks. And yeah. also Hal's grounded for two weeks for helping. <laughs> like it's, it's, it yeah. really kind of broke a lot of uh, tropes. Yeah. I, I, I like that a lot. I mean, I also like that, um, you know, the, the, the use, not just of cutscenes, but uh, POV shots too, right? Like when that fist is going towards Stevie, it's sort of like the POV of the fist <laughs> or I guess of the bully, right? There's a lot of moments where you get, the perspective of a person or even an object that's being projected <laughs> somewhere. And I think that's that I think I remember seeing some of that in some like old Nickelodeon shows. And so that's sort of like that, that sort of playfulness really brings in a lot of the kids who really enjoyed the show. And then of course, uh, like, like yourself. Uh, and then of course, you know, just the relatability of how stressful it is to raise a family in the first place is something a lot of parents can like too. So, you know, it's um, striking a different chord of relatability that we've seen 10 years prior, uh, but it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, and it 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 paved the way for, mm-hmm. like, all the other sitcoms that we're going to be talking about and beyond. Like, it, I really, as I said before, I don't like to use the word groundbreaking – Unless, like, when I say it, I really mean it. And this show was groundbreaking for sitcoms. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I'm glad that it did what it did because it, you know, as much as I liked a lot of the sitcoms we talked about for the 90s, uh, I think a change in format is always welcomed, right? You don't want too much of the same thing. Uh, and, you know, the, the last thing I'll say, too, the narration uh, I I really get a kick out of because this is obviously, like, being told really from Malcolm's perspective the way he looks right at the camera, has this inner monologue. And I think, you know, that plays a big part into not just the storytelling, but also the comedic delivery. And we'll see the next show we're going to talk about really takes that idea of narration as a comedic tool, not just a storytelling device, but as a comedic device to the next level. Unless you have any other thoughts about Malcolm in the Middle, again, I'm probably going to continue watching this because I didn't really watch it too much as... A kid but i think that was my opportunity to do so i my last thought is like enjoy the journey enjoy the ride and i <laughs> to everyone listening out there it's a show to get into it's it's you could you could at least do two a night it's so funny it's it so goes funny and it goes through see, pretty fast yeah you really get to see like what the early 2000s were like <laughs> it is like a time capsule show in that respect too i like that and you know i think the 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 theme song gets the show down really perfectly too with the last line of the intro life is unfair (laughs) and this show is definitely going to remind you of that if you take that journey uh but okay we're we started this now our journey into the 2000s world of television comedies and as i hinted to before the next show we're going to talk about is really going to hone in on that element of narration uh as a new opportunity for for comedy and that show is, if you haven't guessed already, 
Arrested Development, which is a show we're very excited to talk about. And, um, you know, Keith, I can see you smiling there. I, I, I'm ecstatic. I'm probably just going to rewatch the whole series again after watching that pilot. Uh, but until then, we'll catch you at the next pilot. Follow us on Instagram and X, formerly Twitter, at Take Us to the Pilot. That's Take Us to the Pilot with the number two. Attention passengers, we've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day.